Once again, good morning. Good morning. I like that you guys actually say good morning back. That's so great. Um, also, for those of you guys online, good morning to you guys as well. Um, we're going to be continuing our series in becoming his church. And as we regularly do, to start off our time, we're going to be reading the text together. And as we read, uh, again, this is going to be kind of a shorter text. As we read, there's kind of an assignment. I want you guys to pay careful attention to Paul's boldness. Again, we're looking at Paul's heart. We're looking, what's driving this heart? So again, pay careful attention to his boldness as he witnesses to yet another person. This time it's the king, King Agrippa II. So please follow along with me. Again, 880, if you're using the Bibles in front of you. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 24. Verse 24 begins and says, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long. I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Praise God for his word. Please join me in prayer again. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning confessing that it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can stand before you today. We thank you for the passages that we get to read, like the one in Psalm that we just read. That reminds us of your greatness and our need to rejoice in who you are. We pray for our neighbors, both locally and globally, who find it difficult to rejoice in the Lord. We pray for the persecuted Christians around the world who are under threat of continual attacks. Give hope to communities in the eastern region of Kenya and the Lamu County who are facing death threats from Islamic extremists daily and still facing the challenges of gaining access to Bibles in their own language. We also pray for those pastors who are witnessing to the Banjara tribe in southern India who are facing increased persecution from Hindu extremists. May the Christians who have lost loved ones in recent attacks find comfort that only comes from you. May the peace of Christ rule in their hearts as they experience ongoing persecution from those who wish to silence their faithful witness. 
Lord, we even pray, guide these Islamic extremists and militant Muslims to find salvation in Christ. We pray for those who have not yet placed their trust in you, for those who have not yet heard the peace that only Christ can bring. We pray for our children here this morning that you've blessed us with, and we pray that they would come to know Jesus at a young age, that you would spare them from seasons of rebellion. Please grow in them a desire to know you and to serve you. We pray for all those that are serving all over campus and may you bring them fresh joy in their service this morning and for those, Lord, who are hurting, those who are weak, may your peace and your strength abound. We pray for those who are battling sickness and those recovering. We pray that they find comfort that only comes through knowing you more and more, deeper and deeper and day by day. We pray for all those family members and medical staff who are caring for them. May you be their strength, their source of rest. Guide them, Lord, in times of frustration, in times where they feel defeat. And two, we we pray that you bring them fresh joy and give them strength that only comes from you. We pray for all the handful of middle school students that we get from week to week and we pray that you carry them through the struggles that they face day to day. May you continually draw them to know your grace in Jesus Christ. We pray for all those who are married, those with young families and especially those who are struggling in their marriages. May you grant them wisdom, reveal to them their sin and guide them in your grace and again, restore their joy. We pray for all our young singles and our college students. May you sustain them. Lord, and may, may you be with them as many of them are far away from their families this semester. And Lord, during stressful times, help them delight in knowing your nearness. And for those who are new this morning, visiting with us, maybe even looking for a church family, we pray that you guide them to experience the immeasurable joy of your salvation this morning and draw them to your community. For all of us here, all of us online, give us a fresh hunger for your worth this morning and reignite our passion to share the gospel with the lost who need to know Christ. We pray all these things in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if this is your first time joining us, we have been journeying through the book of Acts in a series entitled Becoming His Church. And we started this series now a little over a year ago. And we've journeyed together chapter by chapter, verse by verse, witnessing Luke's record of the birth and development of the church. Our goal in this series is to become His church through the study of His word and the power of His Holy Spirit. Almost 30 years ago, on August the 1st, 1995, Christian alternative rock group DC Talk released a song entitled Jesus Freak. It received a lot of airtime and became one of the most popular songs on Christian billboard charts. I, wrote, I, I, I rocked both sides of that cassette tape. I was seven. It was great. 
It was written and produced by lead singer Toby McKeehan, emphasizing what it meant to stand up for one's faith in Christ alone, especially despite persecution. See, McKeehan recognized something that I believe a lot of Christians today often fail to remember. And it's this, if you're taking notes, this will be the first blank. See, Christianity seems like foolishness to the world. This is the world we live in. Again, Christianity seems like foolishness to the world. As one pastor identified, the gospel sounds very strange to a generation that has been told that they are perfect, that loving themselves is virtuous, that their heart is always right, and nothing is more important than being happy. Sharing the gospel certainly has its difficulties with today's culture, but even in Paul's day, there were always challenges and struggles to find when it comes to gospel ministry. As we've been talking about this with our church family on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays at our house, I know that some of you guys have been struggling to share your faith. So this morning, for those of you who have been struggling to find ways to share the gospel in difficult situations, you're in the right place. I hope that you will find much encouragement from Paul's example this morning. The past nine weeks have kind of finally brought us to this big point this morning. This has brought us to this place here in, in, in the narrative in chapter 26. Nine weeks ago, we were in Acts 21, where Paul was arrested. He was in prison simply because of his faithfulness to the gospel message. This led to several defense speeches that he gave. He, that Paul gave to various audiences. Acts 22, Paul addressed his defense before the Jerusalem mob who were crying out for his blood. Acts 23, he addressed the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Acts 24, he addressed the Roman governor Felix in Caesarea. Acts 25, he addressed the new Felix, Felix's replacement, Festus. And now, in 26, Paul will give his final address before the king. And it's interesting that King Agrippa and the new governor, Festus, allow Paul to speak. This is going to help us a little bit to understand why. Why are they allowing Paul to speak again? Every time he speaks, something bad happens. So why are they letting him speak? Put simply, Festus was in a political dilemma, which, if not handled well, threatened his position and possibly his life. Because Paul was a Roman citizen and because he knew that his accusers had no possible evidence to prove his wrongdoing, Paul had invoked the special right that he had to appeal his case before Emperor Caesar. Festus was now under obligation to keep Paul in custody until he could be sent to Rome to be tried by Caesar. But Festus had no evidence. There was nothing incriminating about Paul that he could put in his official report before this trial. And he knew that it would be absurd and dangerous to send prisoners to Caesar without indicating the charges against him. It would waste the emperor's time. Festus decided that he needed the help of King Agrippa in formulating a valid charge to put his report before Paul. If you guys ever had trouble trying to put up paperwork at work, 
That was Festus. Remember, the governor before him was fired for not handling the situation with Paul. Festus had little knowledge of the religious obstacles that were at stake. So Festus, he was desperate for help. And he asked Agrippa for his expert advice. So King Agrippa, undoubtedly flattered, he agreed to help and requested to hear Paul for himself. And Festus designed a hearing, not a trial, but just a hearing that allowed King Agrippa to hear Paul and give his insight regarding Paul's case. In his introduction to this hearing last week, we read that Festus openly admitted his dilemma. He was transparent with the people. This is what he said. I have nothing definite to write to Caesar about Paul. He could have been shrugging his shoulders. I got nothing, guys. And he says, therefore, I have brought him, Paul, before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. Paul isn't given permission to speak. And instead of a defense speech, he courageously shares the gospel yet again with an audience who wants him dead. Keep in mind, Paul was no longer in Festus's jurisdiction since he had appealed his case to Caesar. He was under Caesar's jurisdiction now. So why did Paul attend this corrupt hearing if he wasn't legally bound to even be there? This is classic Paul. He simply could not pass up another opportunity to preach the gospel, especially in this important context. And it's here, in the governor's audience hall before the governor, the king, his military commanders, and the prominent men of the city that God created another opportunity for Paul to minister in the most unimaginable contexts to some of the most powerful people of his day and of his region. Again, where Festus and Agrippa saw an opportunity to finally get rid of Paul, Paul saw another opportunity to share about Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished through the cross. See, Festus and Agrippa, they were awaiting a defense speech, but instead, they heard a lot about Jesus. You see, for the next 22 verses, Luke sums this up, but Paul shares the gospel through his powerful testimony, explaining how he was personally saved by Jesus Christ. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. The title of today's sermon is From Small to Great, whether short or long. And again, we'll be in Acts 26, verses 24 through 32. Let me share my hopes with you this morning. For those of you who are not a Christian yet this morning, again, my hope for you is always twofold. Firstly, I hope that by the end of our time here this morning that you will have a greater understanding of what Christians, or we can say why Christians are just so crazy to talk about Jesus a lot. And secondly, my hope for you guys that aren't a Christian yet, my hope is that you will follow Jesus and that you personally will know him as your Lord and Savior today. Christians, I turn to you now. Christians, my hope for you this morning is that you will not only witness Paul's great example of sharing the gospel again, but that you yourself would examine your 
gospel sharing practices. Again, Christians, I want you to examine your gospel sharing practices. For this, I want to highlight two characteristics. So I have two main points this morning that describe the relationship between his church and the good news of the gospel. Again, if you're filling blanks, this is the next blank. The first characteristic I wish to highlight from the text is that his church is crazy about the gospel. His church is crazy about the gospel. We see this in verses 24 through 25. Consider the stories of Christians around the world who are persecuted today. Recently in Kenya, frontline workers reported that, and I quote, multiple Christians have been killed. They've been killed by attackers who are suspected to be connected to the Al-Shabaab, an Islamic extremist group that targets Christians throughout Somalia and Kenya. Since January the 3rd, attackers organized in groups of around 30 people and armed with guns and knives had led brutal assaults on multiple villages throughout counties like the Lamu district. Several Christians were shot, stabbed, or burned beyond recognition. And another woman, another woman was tied up and forced to watch the attackers behead their husband, her husband. The main purpose of these attacks were simply to create fear. They were not happy with churches being built and are opposed to the preaching of the gospel. And yet, as you read this report, and yet, why do these, or what do these Christians in Kenya ask prayer for, for people around the world, Christians around the world, what, what do they ask for prayer for? They pray that their attackers would hear the gospel for themselves and that their attackers would come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. If that doesn't seem crazy enough to you, consider the report of another frontline worker from a few weeks ago in India. Frontline workers reported the story of a pastor and his son who were ambushed in the jungle. The report says, and I quote, Pastor Natya and his son and other church members had worshipped together and were walking home through the jungle when they were ambushed by Hindu radicals throwing stones at them. Some were able to break away only to be attacked again by villagers wielding axes, sticks, and other torture devices. Pastor Natia's 16-year-old son and another believer were struck repeatedly simply because they were Christians. Police arrived and helped take severely injured men to the hospital. And when questioned, the attackers falsely claimed that Pastor Natia incited the attacks. Because of that, it says the case is still ongoing. But the attackers, they've already been released. They're free. And the medical and legal costs from the attack continue to mount. But listen to this, church. Listen to this. These believers are praying that the attackers, as well as the judicial officials, who are treating them unjustly, that they will know the gospel of Jesus and that they too be saved. Why would Pastor Natya and the believers in India be praying for the salvation of their attackers? 
How could the Kenyan believers forgive their attackers, and not only that, but pray for them, asking for prayers around the world that they hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Put simply, they all have experienced the saving power of the gospel message and the desire that everyone turns to Christ. This will never make sense to those who reject the gospel message. Again, his church is crazy about the gospel. In a similar way, verse 24 tells us that Paul is immediately interrupted and is accused of being crazy. As Paul was reaching the climax of his speech to Agrippa, Festus interrupted Paul. And with a loud voice, he yelled, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is just driving you out of your mind. See, the Greek word translated, you are out of your mind, is where we get the English word maniac. And the Latin translation of this word is where we get the English term insane. He's calling Paul a maniac, an insane one. <laughs> I remember walking the busy streets of Moscow uh, with a group of college friends. We're doing ministry out there. And there was a Muslim man. I, I think he was a taxi driver with some friends. There was a Muslim man who had seen my tattoos and he'd heard me around the city speaking about my transformed life in Christ. I remember we're crossing the street and he ran up to me and he gripped my arm and began yelling at me with at first a smile and then it began and then it slowly started to turn to tears and anger. But he started to yell at me, crazy, you're crazy, away. You see, he, he was attempting to silence me and shame me in front of his friends. I'll never forget that. Festus, here in the same way, was using this language to shut down Paul's speech. This offhanded compliment tells us that even though Festus had respect for Paul's great learning, he just could not tolerate another word from this man, this prisoner. So what was so outrageous about Paul's speech? Paul was explaining to Agrippa that the same Jesus who was crucified dead, buried, and rose from the dead. And not only that, he appeared before Paul, proving his resurrection and personally changing Paul's life. Paul explained that he once enjoyed persecuting Christians, but now that Jesus called him into salvation, he's a follower of this once dead man, ministering in his name. As a pastor once commented, Paul truly was an assassin turned evangelist. Verse 22 seems like a summary statement from Luke that implies that Paul used many references from the Old Testament as evidence that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who fulfilled all the prophecies of Scripture. And in fact, there's that expression, your great learning. It literally can be rendered, your many books or your many letters in which Festus is referring to the Jewish scriptures Paul just mentioned. And it was obvious from Paul's use of the scriptures that he was a very intelligent man. But Festus believed that Paul's great learning, his intelligence, has put him out of touch with reality. 
He believed that any sensible Roman could not believe a dead man can be raised back to life and instruct people, especially one that was executed under the orders of his predecessor, Pilate. But Paul was most certainly not out of his mind. Paul summed it up very well when he wrote 1 Corinthians that the gospel is foolishness. This is what Paul writes, that the gospel is foolishness, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Christian, my first exhortation for you this morning, the next blank, prepare for gospel opposition with gentleness and respect. Again, prepare for gospel opposition with gentleness and respect. Because the world deems Christianity to be crazy, it would be helpful for us to look at Paul's example to inform us on how we should respond to gospel hostility. Look at verse 25. I want to direct your attention to how Paul responds to Festus' interruption. You see, where Festus raised his voice and ridiculed Paul, Paul responded with great dignity and composure. He respected, or he respectfully addressed Festus to the effect of your excellency, his excellency, and he defended the rationality of his thinking. For the word that he was speaking is truth. Paul is putting to practice what Peter wrote regarding how Christians are to live in a world that greatly opposes the gospel. What Peter writes is this, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I love how one pastor comments on this section. He writes, what we say is more important than how we say it, but our delivery methods and our tone, they matter to God, and they matter to those we're addressing. Therefore, we should seek to blend truthfulness with tenderness courage with compassion. Christian, we cannot share the gospel with an end justifies the means mentality of evangelism. Especially when we share the gospel to those in a hostile culture, we must do so with the love of Christ. As we speak about the love of Christ, we must do so with the love of Christ. Therefore, Christian, Prepare, again, prepare for opposition with gentleness and respect. Moving to our second point this morning, not only is his church crazy about the gospel, there's also a second characteristic in the text that describes the relationship between, again, his church and the good news of the gospel. The second characteristic is his church desires that no one turns away from the gospel. We see this from verse 26 to the end of the chapter, that his church desires that no one turns away from the gospel. See, in this series, we have highlighted this characteristic several times through many different people and many different situations. 
In this section of the Acts narrative, Paul displays this characteristic in the way that he used Festus's interruption to pursue Agrippa's sinful heart with the gospel message. See, much application can be made in this passage regarding how Christians share the hope of Jesus. And Christian, perhaps this is an area that you struggle with and that you need help with. So for this, I want to to focus on five ways Christians can be faithful witnesses in difficult situations. So follow along with me as we unpack this section of the text. The first of five, the first application is that Christians must speak boldly. See this in verse 26, speak boldly. Notice in verse 26, Paul takes advantage of this interruption to once again focus on Agrippa. See, Paul doesn't miss a beat. He saw an opportunity to evangelize the king and he jumped on it. He took it. What Festus meant for evil, God used for good. He begins to speak about Agrippa in the third person, saying that King Agrippa knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. And his boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. And it comes from his belief that none of these things that he has proclaimed has escaped the king's notice because it has not been done in a corner. This stereotypical expression in a corner stresses that Christianity is neither secret and it's not private. It didn't begin as some mystery religion with secret practices and rituals that only members knew about. It didn't begin like the Mormon religion where less than 200 years ago, Joseph Smith claims that he received some new special revelation from God and they're on golden tablets in a language that only he can read. And on top of that, that it was conveniently hidden from the view of others. No one's ever seen it. No, it didn't happen in a corner. Christianity, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it was a public matter. And it certainly wasn't an insignificant movement. Agrippa would have known that Paul meant when he earlier referred to the prophets and Moses. Therefore, Agrippa's silence confirms Paul's conclusions. He did know what Paul was talking about. As one scholar worded, the events of Jesus had been too public to escape the notice of any Palestinian Jew. The intimidation tactics of Festus and the great pomp of Agrippa and Bernice were now silenced before the truth of the gospel message. And remember, when you look at great wealth, when you look at great power of esteemed celebrities and admired figures of society, under that veneer of great pomp and fortune, there will always exist a great, great need for Christ. Paul recognized Agrippa's great need for Christ, so he spoke boldly and freely before him. Christian, when you feel intimidated or maybe unequipped to adequately share the gospel, remember, you do not peddle a weak gospel. When proclaiming the gospel to your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, or even in your own home, speak boldly. For it is Christ, the hope of glory, that we share. Secondly, believers, when sharing the gospel, ask questions 
that take people directly to Christ. Again, ask questions that take people directly to Christ. We see this in verse 27. Many people have a hard time asking the right questions when witnessing to others. It's a fact. (laughs) Many others know the right questions, but especially here in Hawaii, we dodge or we tippy-toe around questions that lead others directly to Christ. Why? Because we don't want to sound too forward. We don't want to speak too freely. So for this, if you struggle with this, consider Paul's example. Paul was straightforward with the king and did not speak in ambiguous terms. In verse 26, Paul spoke of Agrippa in the third person, and here in verse 27, he confronted Agrippa directly. He addressed Agrippa and asked, do you believe the prophets? And then he quickly answered his own question, saying to himself, saying, I know you believe. It is obvious that Paul is becoming even more bold in his witness to Agrippa. And Agrippa, how did he respond? He was blindsided by this question. In some, he was embarrassed. On the one hand, if Agrippa confirmed that he believed the Old Testament prophets, he would also have to agree that Jesus is the Messiah that the Old Testament professes. But if he denied his belief in the prophets, it would threaten his standing with the Jewish people. Because his public image, since he's not Jewish but wants to be seen as one, his public image to be seen as a Jew obligated him to believe in the prophets. He was stuck in a corner. Like Paul, it would be wise for Christians to ask questions that take people directly to Christ because we must give them, as one pastor put it, clear chances, clear, clarified chances to accept or reject Christ. Number three, when witnessing to others, prepare for indirect responses. Again, this is something that I think is very important in Hawaii. (laughs) Prepare for indirect responses. We see this in verse 28. Agrippa heard Paul's question and immediately sensed where Paul was leading him, and he didn't want to go there. So the king has found himself publicly backed into a corner, witnessed by his lover slash sister. It's very weird. Uh, His military commanders, the prominent men of the city are also witnessing this, as well as the governor Festus himself. And he wanted out. So Agrippa, he avoids, he sidesteps the question and cleverly asks Paul a counter question in order to save face. He asks, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? The Greek here in this phrase, it presents many difficulties. Agrippa's statement can either be translated as a question. Are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian in such a short time? Or it could be a statement accusing him, saying, you are trying to persuade me to be a Christian in such a short time. But whether he's asking a question or he's accusing Paul of evangelizing him, one thing is clear. He knew exactly what Paul was doing. And he wanted to avoid answering Paul's question. So how was Paul prepared for Agrippa's indirect response? This is the fourth one. He shared his desire to make Christ known. Verse 29, share your desire to make Christ known. Agrippa's indirect response seems to question Paul's intentions in somewhat of a joking manner. 
His tone can be seen in his usage of the word Christian, the term Christian. See, this is the second and final time that we see the term Christian in the Acts narrative. See, because the term was used mockingly, derisively, in its first use in chapter 11, verse 26, it implies that Agrippa is using it here the same way. Paul was not swayed by Agrippa's demoralizing response. And he can tell that Agrippa was uncomfortable, but Paul wouldn't let him off the hook. Paul wasn't about to give up. Instead, he gave Agrippa a standing, open invitation to Jesus Christ. Again, look at verse 29. Paul uses a play on words to point out no matter how long it took, whether short or long, Paul's desire was that Agrippa would become a Christian. And not only him, but all those who heard the gospel might become Christian. Imagine the beautiful absurdity of this scene. It's possible that Paul, the prisoner, turned to directly address everyone in the room. People of high authority, people of high military power, perhaps he even lifted his wrists as a form of object lesson. Paul shared his desire that they would be like him, a prisoner saved by faith in Jesus Christ, except for these chains. As one New Testament scholar writes, Paul wanted them to share his Lord, but not share his chains. In the same way, Christian, when you seem to reach an apparent dead end in your gospel conversations, or maybe people feel like you're treating them as a project and they're calling you out on it, don't throw in the towel. Instead, share your heart, share your desire to make Christ known from small to great, whether short or long. Fifthly, lastly, Christians can be faithful witnesses in difficult situation by preparing for rejection and trusting God with the results. So again, prepare for rejection and trust God with the results. This is verse 30 through 32. Look at how Agrippa responds to Paul's heartfelt desire to see him saved. Verse 30 tells us that Agrippa, like Festus, he had enough. It is probable that Paul had more to say after verse 29, but Agrippa interrupts him by standing up, thereby concluding this hearing. Governor Festus, Bernice, and those who were sitting with them followed Agrippa's lead. And as they were leaving, the text says that they said to one another in private that this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And in agreement, Agrippa himself, the king, said to the governor, Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the political expert advice that he's getting from the king. This man is innocent. This is the fifth time that Paul has been declared innocent by people of high power. And yet, even though they all believe Paul was innocent, Festus was not about to short-circuit this appeal to Caesar. To do so would have offended Caesar, the emperor, and their region. It would have also cost Festus his good standing before the emperor and could have even cost him his life. Yet again in Scripture... 
Just like how we saw with Felix, the cost to do the right thing. And certainly, certainly the cost to follow Jesus Christ was too great. The cost to follow Jesus was too great for all those leaders of great wealth, of great power. Just like the rich young ruler who had much to lose They rejected the invitation to follow Jesus Christ because of their great possessions, their comfort, their money, their power, their prestige. It's too big. If you share the gospel with lost friends and loved ones, you may be familiar with what it's like to see someone reject Christ. I know I've talked to some of you guys about this before, whether it's your wife, your husband, your grown-up kids, your growing kids, your neighbors. It's heartbreaking. And Paul certainly was familiar with this. Christian, if that's you this morning, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart when lost friends and loved ones reject the gospel. Don't fall into that temptation of simply throwing in the towel and saying, I could could never be like Paul. What's she talking about? I can't be Paul. See, Paul was exceptional at sharing the gospel, but even he believed that God has assigned every believer, every Christian, whether a new babe in Christ to a seasoned veteran Christian, that all Christian, every believer has a task in sharing the gospel. <clears throat> His words to the believers in Corinth were, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? And Paul is writing this. They are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Christian, continue to share the gospel. Even if, it, if, even if it doesn't sprout, even if you don't see growth, continue to share the gospel. Yes to your unbelieving wife. Yes to your unbelieving husband. Yes to your grown kids. Yes to your growing kids. Yes to your unbelieving neighbors. Yes to the people that ridicule you at work. Continue to share the gospel. Continue to plant seeds where others have also planted seeds. Water those seeds. Repeatedly administer the gospel. And then trust God with the results. In conclusion, those of you who are not a Christian this morning, yet, You might be familiar with the two points that we just addressed. You agree wholeheartedly that all Christians are crazy about the gospel. And they certainly wish that no one turns away from the gospel. And even though Christians don't walk two by two to your front door with a white-collared shirt and a tie, you've probably heard an earful about Jesus several times from Christian friends and loved ones. You may have even considered asking them to stop at some point. See, if if this describes you and your situation, I want to challenge you to consider something. And so I'm going to give you guys a challenge as well. For those of you that are not Christian, 
you should consider asking them why they're sharing about the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Ask them why they're sharing that with you. Ask them questions regarding the things that you don't understand about Christianity, whether it's their poor example or it's their contradictory nature. Ask them these questions. Whenever they reference a section from the Bible, non-Christian, if you're not a Christian, grab a Bible for yourself. Read the Bible. Ask them even more questions. Put, Put them on the spot. The reason why let me, let me kind of clue you in. The reason why these loved ones, friends, family members, the reason why they share Christ with you, non-Christian, is that they love you enough to know that they never want you to live another day without him. No matter the cost, no matter the effort, no matter the amount of time it will take, they care about you. So students, Middle schoolers, high school students, college students, um, any students, parents of students, maybe for some of you, you're trying to figure out what to do with your life and constantly feel the pressures of making life-changing decisions immediately. I want to assure you, there is nothing better you could do with your life than to turn to Christ and surrender it all to him. If you're not a Christian this morning, my hope for you is that you will follow Jesus and know him as your personal Lord and Savior today. And I want to encourage you to turn to Christ because it's only in him that you will be saved. Christian, I turn to you now. Now that you have had a chance to witness Paul's great example of sharing the gospel, I want you to examine your own gospel sharing practices Brothers and sisters in Christ, when was the last time someone called you crazy because of your love for Jesus? Or, if you're not living out that transformed life, do you try to go about your day without your faith being noticed? When was the last time you shared the gospel with a non Christian? Was it yesterday? Was it 10 years ago? 30 years ago? Or are you a closet Christian at work? Or are you a closet Christian to your neighbors in retirement? Or even in your own home? Do your kids, do your parents, the people you're caring for, do they know that you're a Christian? If it really is true that his church desires that no one turns away from the gospel, have you stopped participating in the one mission of the church to be faithful gospel bearers that make disciples of all nations? For you veteran Christians that have been Christians for longer than one year, (laughs) has your heart become cold to those who have never heard the gospel? Have you forfeited from your faithful gospel proclamation because you feel like you've already done your part? Maybe you've aged out of the service or you've simply retired from gospel ministry. If that is you this morning, today is the perfect day to start your gospel obedience afresh and with a renewed vigor. For that, I challenge you 
challenge even the Christians that are going about gospel ministry faithfully. Every Christian, I challenge you, speak boldly, especially in moments where you are given the chance to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And when witnessing to others, don't just ramble off facts that you learned in an apologetics conference. (laughs) Ask questions that take people directly to Christ. Prepare for indirect responses and observe how they respond. When they seem to question your motives, share your desire, your heart to make Christ known. And once you faithfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, Trust God with the results. Trust God with his saving work. That is what it means to share the gospel from small to great, whether short or long. This is the mission of our church and this is what it means to be his church.